What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 140 of the podcast. And in this episode, I speak about watching the Joker movie. I speak about UFC 243 and 244. And I also speak about an off-Broadway play that I saw adapted from Pulitzer Prize winning novel by Juno Diaz, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde. And the name of the play is that same title, but in Spanish, which is La Breve y Maravillosa Vida de Oscar Wilde. Stick around if any of that sounds interesting to you. And before we jump in, here's a quick way that you can help support the show. You know that feeling that you get on a Monday when you're sad because the weekend is over and you have nothing to look forward to except for lunch? Have no fear, the Midday Monday Boost Letter is here. And you might be thinking, what is the Midday Monday Boost Letter? Sounds like a mouthful. And it is, but it's also more than that. I put together this absolutely free newsletter that I email to all my subscribers every Monday at noon to spread a little joy and happiness. If you choose to subscribe, all you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. And what you'll get is five things. You'll get a photo of the week, which who doesn't like looking at dope pictures? You'll also get a podcast of the week. I listen to dozens and dozens of podcasts every single week from a wide variety of shows. And I cherry pick the very best ones and share them with you as my recommendation for that week. Also in the Midday Monday Boost Letter, you will find a video of the week, which could be anything from a cool online recipe that I found to a rap battle to a TED talk or a dope interview. I also share a quote of the week, a little food for thought, as well as a word of the week for my fellow wordsmiths out there. Again, this is all absolutely free, and you can get my newsletter by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you will get the very next one. All right, so first up, we have the Joker movie, which if you haven't seen it, Spoiler alert, first of all. And second of all, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It definitely lives up to the hype, and it's one of the best movies that I've seen in a minute. I'm definitely looking forward to re-watching it. I'm also glad that I actually went out to uh, the theater to watch this one, as opposed to just watching it at home, which is nothing wrong with that, obviously. I watch most of the movies I watch, I watch at home. But The Misses and I, like... Uh, Going to the movies, that's uh, one of our things. We just do it less now after having the baby. But we definitely made some time for this one, and it was very well worth it. So this Joker movie, which is, I feel like it was kind of like cryptic leading up to it. Like we didn't know much about it. And little like teaser trailers that came out months ago didn't really tell you much about the story. It showed you Joaquin Phoenix, which does an amazing fucking job. In this movie, like there's like already like Oscar winning talks and I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he wins for like best actor or something like that. But yeah, leading up to the release of the movie, we don't like know much about it. We just see Joaquin doing like jokery shit. 
besides that, the the writer and uh, director and producer of it is Todd Phillips, which is more known for his comedies than anything else. I don't know if this was his first like drama or like non-comedy, but he historically has written and produced movies like The Hangover, Hangover 2, Hangover 3, Road Trip, Old School, Due Date, and, you know, dope comedies like that. But there was definitely a tinge of, can this guy pull off a, you know, drama like this? You know, there was like a bit of like anticipation of, you know, is he going to pull this off or, you know, is it going to suck because it's his first time, you know, doing something like this? And he absolutely knocked it out of the park. Starting with this being a period piece, kind of, right? Because it's like Gotham City, but it's like New York City back in the day. Um, The cinematography of it was completely on point. Like the look and the feel, like it had this artsy, nostalgic tone to it that was consistent throughout the entire film. And it was just shot beautifully. And then... Going back to Joaquin Phoenix, he is definitely a method actor, gets completely, you know, in his head about the role. He lost 52 pounds for this role, 5'2", and it definitely showed in his character. You know, there's like a few scenes with him with his shirt off. You can see like his rib cage and on his back, you can see his spine and he looks like malnourished and weak, but at the same time, oddly like fierce. And in an interview I saw with uh, Todd Phillips, he was saying that Joaquin initially had an idea to play like a fat joker, like he wanted to gain weight for it. Um, And Todd Phillips told him that the vision that he had and the way he saw it was, you know, actually, you know, like really like skinny and malnourished and stuff, but he wanted him to like look like a wolf kind of. So I guess that's where that like fierceness that I picked up on like comes from. Yeah, this creepy, like, iconic laugh. It was involuntary for the most part. Whenever he felt awkward or was in, like, a weird situation, he would, like, laugh. And he was kind of, like, offbeat like that. In the weirdest, most awkward moments. Like, his kind of, like, defense mechanism. I guess if you can call it that, but it's not really that. Cause it wasn't really, like, a defense mechanism. It was more like a Tourette's syndrome kind of impulse to just laugh. And the obvious uh, through line throughout the movie is that we're, you know, watching a guy who's like barely holding on to reality and clearly has mental illness issues uh, just become completely unhinged and lose it. Like we see that transformation of him in this film, which is very interesting to follow, like in and of itself, even without the weight of the character of the Joker. And, you know, being like the villain of Batman or or like any of that type of baggage. Just this guy who starts off, you know, trying to do the right things and going through the motions and having this job and looking after his mother. But something's definitely off with him. And then eventually kind of like standing up for himself when he's in that scene with the like the three douchey Wall Street guys that are in the train and they're harass- harassing a, a girl and he's like on the other side of the train but he's witnessing it he feels awkward about it so he starts laughing and then the guys think that you know he's being like a smart ass and stuff then they come over to fuck with him and he winds up 
accidentally, quote, shooting one of them. And then he wound up shooting the other two and killing them. And even at that point, like, he still tried to, like, he's fucked up in the head enough to, like, compartmentalize that and try to, like, go about his business and go on with his life. Like, that never happened. Um, But that didn't even make him, like, come unhinged. It was, I feel, the, that gave him, like, a taste for, like, killing and made him realize the indifference that he felt towards it, which surprises him because it was almost like as if he knew that he was supposed to feel some type of way about that. Um, But then he's surprised to find out that he doesn't. And, you know, he still goes home. He's a little freaked out about the fact that it happened, but like indifferent about like their lives or whatever. And, you know, goes about his business, takes care of his mom and stuff like that. And, you know, things are starting to quote normalize for him again, back to like his routine and shit. And it's not until the betrayal or perceived betrayal of his mother that, you know, makes him completely go off the rails and just double down on, you know, being the Joker and doing Joker type shit. And now it's important to know that purposely, as Todd Phillips has said, like repeatedly, and I think it's like common knowledge now, you know, around around this movie, this Joker character is off script. Meaning it's, you know, obviously based on the iconic Joker character, but they're not following the exact, like, origin story of the Joker from, like, the comic books or any of the previous uh, Batman movies. In the movie, Todd Phillips even plays with the idea of the Joker and Bruce Wayne being half-brothers, and that Bruce Wayne's father... Like banged and impregnated the Joker's wife, uh, mom, when she used to work as a servant in the house. And according to her, you know, she got fired from that job. And Thomas Wayne, I think his name is. I know it's like something with a T. I think it's Thomas, uh, the father of Bruce Wayne. He like makes her like sign some papers, which she never really says like what they were. So I thought initially it was like some sort of like NDA or something like that. Then I've heard other. People say that it's no, no, that it's referencing like the adoption uh, paperwork that the Joker like later uncovers that he's adopted, which is again what the perceived betrayal is from his part because you know he thinks that's his mom, but then there's this paperwork of him being adopted that he finds out about from Thomas Wayne when he confronts him, saying you know that he's his father, and he tells him that he's not, that his mother's batshit crazy, and he was adopted. And then the Joker goes, you know, looking for this paperwork and finds it and then pretty much spirals out of control. Like after that, kills his mother, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that was a key scene for me Um, because the movie also, by the way, it goes in and out of reality versus like him just fantasizing shit. So once you catch on to that, like somewhere... Like in the middle of the movie when uh, I think the big reveal of that is his relationship with a a neighbor down the hall that, you know, one day he just like knocks on her door, like kisses her and like sleeps with her and becomes his quote girlfriend. And, you know, then there's scenes of them together, like in the future, like going to the movies and or I'm sorry, going to um, he tries to do stand up comedy and she goes to see him. 
and you know just them dating hanging out stuff like that but it's all just shit that he fantasized in his head because he bumped into this neighbor in the in the elevator one day and then just imagined all the other shit and that's like revealed towards like the middle of the movie so then once that's revealed it puts into question everything that you've seen you know what has happened what hasn't what has he fantasized what has he not so there's a ton of interesting little like doors and avenues you can go down when factoring that in but going back to the scene that i was referring to that i think is a key scene is which i think is also imagined i think the whole shit is imagined spoiler alert of my own like little theory but something that supports that that thought or that theory of mine is that that scene when he goes to arkham asylum i believe it's called the and he asks uh paperboy from atlanta the show atlanta who's like an, an attendant there he asks him for these records and he comes back like the scene starts with him coming back and the joker was like waiting for him to come back with this paperwork he like apologizes to him and he's like oh you know i'm sorry you know sorry it took so long but the you know paperwork from a year or two ago you know normally takes like like an hour to find because you have to do a lot of digging and you know this file is from 30 years ago or whatever the fuck you said or 10 years ago no i think he said like 30 years ago 40 years ago whatever it is implying then then that takes what like fucking 100 hours you know what i mean so that just made me think also he's probably like imagining this shit too because who the fuck would do that <laughs> like who would spend so much time looking for a file for someone that just like came up to them and asked for you know what i mean and if that's the case that it took like hours and hours and hours to find something like a a clerk or employee or something like that would probably tell you oh no you need like the right forms or they would blow you off in some way i would think and then this is the file that uh, the joker winds up like wrestling away from him and runs away with it and reads it and that shows all the like adoption supporting evidence that he was adopted and then this allows him or like gives him agency in his own mind to justifiably kill his mom for lying to him and betraying him so yeah i think that's one reason why i feel like just that scene like the way that played out well i think the whole thing is imagined because from a fantasizing standpoint like from the joker standpoint if he's fantasizing that like interaction the way it would go in his favor would be you know somebody saying oh yeah i'll go dig up this file that takes hours upon hours to get and i'll be right back you know what i mean it sounds like outlandish like type shit just like him banging the the pretty neighbor from down the hall just by knocking on her door something else that i feel supports that is the like flashback scenes of him being in the like mental institution and banging his head up against like the the glass and you see this when he's like sitting down with his social worker and they're speaking about like medications and she's like busy just like going through the motions seemingly being like an overworked social worker that either can't give a fuck or doesn't want to give a fuck which the joker you know points out to her saying you know you never listen to me why are you saying why are you asking me to talk to you and you know i've been telling you time and time again that all there is is you know negative thoughts you know i don't have any positive thoughts and blah 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 blah. and like that conversation that exchange between them i feel is kind of like a, a microcosm of how we treat mental illness for the most part in 
this country and in certain cultures, like we stigmatize it and a way to deal with it is to kind of sort of go through the motions and not deal with it. And there was even a couple lines of dialogue where she says something to the effect of, but you're taking, you know, X number of medications surely must be doing something which again plays into the western medicine belief of you know there's a pill for everything and a pill can fix anything and everything which we clearly know that is not the case you know issues like mental illness and you know the myriad of types of mental illness that there are require you know targeted specific attention and trial and error with different drugs and different types of psychological therapy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not just a, you're taking all these drugs, clearly they must be working or doing something approach. There was a, another scene towards the end, or at the very end, I think, actually, where they show, you know, that social worker, you know, like interviewing him, but like in the insane asylum, which I also feel like plays into my my theory that the whole shit is imagined then it shows him like running away or running down the hall and leaving like a trail of like blood from his shoes you know implying that he killed her and i just feel like that like the interactions that we saw throughout the movie with him and the social worker at the social worker's office and then them saying that they were going to close down because they didn't have like enough funding and stuff like that um i feel like all that was just manifested in, in his mind but he was just, you know, having these conversations and shit with her in the insane asylum. But then even though I think that there's another, not competing theory, but, well, I guess it would have to be competing because I don't see how it would fit in. Like, I don't think both could be true, but there's this, uh, let's call it a competing theory that I just find to be like the sexiest one that I've heard, which I heard mentioned in an interview with Todd Phillips and him saying that this one theory is something that a friend of his, when they were watching the the movie, uh, came up with and other people have like caught on and have said the same thing. And this is one that I'm like, damn, that would be dope if it is true. And the theory is that Joaquin Phoenix's character wasn't necessarily the Joker, but he was the person that influenced the person that eventually becomes the real Joker. Because if you watch the movie, there's, you know, like uh, like riots in the street and stuff like that. There's a lot of, I guess, fi- financial inequality and like the garbage folks are on strike. And, you know, there's like the super rich elite and then everybody else, basically. And with these riots that were spawned after the, the killings that Joaquin Phoenix's character did in the subway spawned like a bunch of people wearing joker masks and just like walling out and there's actually the the iconic scene of when historically the joker character kills bruce wayne's parents which you know then spawns bruce wayne into wanting to get revenge and becoming batman that scene happens but it's not joaquin phoenix that does it it's somebody else in a joker mask so that kind of plays into that theory and yeah so i think that's the dopest you know, meaning behind the movie or like the construction of the movie that that I've heard. But I don't see how that kind of like works with my theory of the entire shit being imagined and him just being, you know, a crazy person in an insane asylum that's imagining all this stuff from its mom to 
his job as a clown to the girlfriend to killing people to you know spawning a revolution and becoming like this martyr hero kind of character maybe you know it kind of plays into the whole mental illness and you know being so manic that you have these grandiose thoughts or expectations for yourself who knows though uh luckily todd phillips did say that he'll reveal what he meant um what he and his team meant when uh writing and putting the movie together uh which i can't wait to hear eventually sometime in the future but he said and i agree that you know he's having fun with like all these theories and stuff like that that are coming out and it's art right it's subjective everybody gets something different from it people see things from different angles different perspectives and that's like a beautiful thing in and of itself what else was dope about this movie there was this uh, hilarious scene like towards the beginning where joaquin is on the bus and there's this little kid like on his knees in front of him like in the seat in front of him like facing joaquin and joaquin starts like playing with the kid like playing like peekaboo and making the kid laugh and the mother turns around saying stop bothering my kid <laughs> leave my kid alone stop bothering him and he's like what (laughs) he was just like cracking up and fucking playing peekaboo like he emotes emits that type of emotion like he like that type of reaction but he doesn't say anything he just starts like laughing with that awkward laugh and then he hands the lady a card that says that he has this condition called something and he involuntarily laughs and blah 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 but I thought that was both a hilarious scene and also an interesting way that they decided to tell us like what it is that he has in terms of like that weird laugh. And of course that that scene with the the stairs that he like dances on is definitely an like iconic scene that's gonna like live forever in and of itself. And here in New York, those stairs are in the Bronx. And I believe I've seen them before because I think my my sister-in-law where she used to live is like right around the corner from like where those stairs are but and if it's not the same ones it's like the same type of setup it's like these long ass stairs in the middle of like a block that's like makes you realize like yeah we're on like a hill kind of um but yeah the those stairs like right right around like halloween there was like a shitload of people like going there and it's become like uh, a little like tourist attraction and you know people taking pictures on it and you know videos trying to like replicate the dance and stuff which i'm sure is something that they they couldn't have predicted but it's a uh, another cool takeaway of the movie another cool thing is uh todd phillips hooking up uh fellow comics well actually i don't know if he's ever done like stand comedy but he's obviously within the comedic world uh but there's a bunch of comics in this movie like mark Marin, uh brian callen shout out to the wtf podcast and shout out to the fighter and the kid podcast uh sam Marill, gary goldman and greer barnes are also in it as well so i thought that was pretty cool um and other interesting scenes are like the scene for example where joaquin phoenix's character goes to a comedy club because he wants to be a stand-up comic and he just goes to a club and he's like taking notes on what's funny, what's not. And he laughs on all, he's like offbeat. He's like on a different wavelength. He laughs at all the moments where nobody's laughing. And then when other people laugh, he's not laughing. I thought that was like interesting scene to kind of like depict that this guy's like 
broken kind of or like against the grain but yeah man that's uh all i could think of right now that's my take on the movie joker i highly recommend it and i definitely am going to watch this one again all right ufc 243 the only fight that i honestly watched uh this card for and i I didn't even watch the full card i started watching at ally quinta which was cool to see him fight i always root for him he's out of uh sarah's camp and uh longo out in uh long island here in new york chris weidman like he's part of like that group of folks so i always root for him he lost in a in a decision and it wasn't like controversial or anything he like definitely clearly lost to a dan hooker but now the fight that i was really anticipating and looking forward to is the israel adesanya aka stylebender versus robert whitaker fight now israel adesanya was the interim champ robert whitaker was the champ champ or not champ champ just champ but he has been hurt for some time he pulled out of his last fight and i think it, it was like 18 months or a year and a half or something like that since his last fight and before that he had a fight and then before that i think he had to pull out because of something else like he was like one of these dope fighters that's a champion obviously but that is not too active due to uh injuries and he's kind of like this stoic no nonsense like type of dude you know he's not too much like into like the hype and the and talking shit and stuff like that whereas uh israel adesanya stylebender is actually like really good on the mic and like talking himself up and promoting a fight and he's backed it up thus far he's 18 to 0 completely undefeated and has in his last fight with coven gastelum was one of the like most epic definitely going to be in like top tens maybe even top five like fights of all time like epic epic battle back and forth war with kevin gastelum robert whitaker was kind of like a bigger version of kevin gastelum like stylistically at least i felt like you know watching the fight i thought israel had his work cut out for him but he like on some anderson silver john jones type of shit like completely dismantled robert whitaker and knocked him out in the second round and looked like he would have been able to in the first round if Robert didn't get, like, saved by the bell at the end. Like, if Israel had, like, up to another, like, 10, 10 seconds, uh, he probably could have finished it in the first. But he finished it promptly in the second round. But he's definitely the truth, yo. I cannot wait. And I hope the MMA gods listen to me and I'm sure every other MMA fan. When we say that we want to see Israel Adesanya versus John Jones, we want to see it happen when both of them are undefeated. Technically, John Jones is not undefeated. He has one loss in his record, but it's like a bullshit disqualification from a quote illegal elbow that went from like 12 to 6 on an opponent years ago. And that's a. And he was like completely dominating that dude uh, before he got disqualified. And. It's a rule that most say shouldn't be a rule, but it is. So technically, he does have that one loss on his record, but he's widely regarded as being undefeated as well. But now, John Jones is a light heavyweight, and Israel is a middleweight. Middleweight is 185 pounds, and light heavy is 205. 
205 pounds. Now, John Jones is widely regarded as the GOAT, and Israel is, like, an up-and-coming, could-be, like, legend-in-making, like, kind of guy. Israel has said himself that, you know, John Jones, because John Jones called him out. Two things with that. One, Israel has said that that's John Jones' way of, like, trying to fight him now while he's, like, you know, early in the UFC. And, you know, to try to, like, take him out the way, like, Mayweather fought Canelo before Canelo became Canelo. Um, just to say that he has a win over Canelo. So he says that John Jones is trying to do that type of thing with him. Like, calling him out early on. Israel's saying that he'll definitely fight him. Um, but he's not going to go up to 205 and fight him now. Because, you know, he wants to continue doing the work within his division in 185. And But then that afterwards... Once he defends his belt a few more times, he's definitely down to, to fight John Jones. And he predicts that that'll happen in 2021. So not next year, but the year after that, which would be fucking epic. Now, the second thing is most people, even including myself, when I heard that like John Jones was talking shit to him and, you know, Stylebender was talking shit back, was kind of, we were kind of like, you know, they're two completely different weight classes, like 185 to 205, you know, why even entertain that? Which is also something that uh, Brendan Schaub said multiple times. Until Schaub had uh, Israel Adesanya on his uh, food truck diary show, which you guys should check out, by the way, on YouTube. I'll link to it, actually, in the episode notes. Brendan Schaub used to fight as a heavyweight. Israel Adesanya was, like, bigger than him. And Schaub, t- you know, took it back then. And he said on air, saying, you know, I thought you fighting Jones would be like a pipe dream, like type of thing. But seeing you in person, you're fucking a big dude. And, you know, Israel like agreed and, you know, told him about the whole thing of his plans to fighting Jones in 2021. Uh, but yeah, that would be such a dope epic fight, man. And I definitely hope it happens. That's all I got on UFC 243. Now, UFC 244 was definitely much more of a stacked card, I felt. And it was f- headlined by George Masvidal and Nate Diaz for the BMF belt. The bad motherfucker belt. Before we get there, uh, one of the first notable fights was Kevin Lee's. And it's Kevin Lee's first fight in the UFC. Not in the UFC, but first fight under head coach Farad Sahabi. Which is like one of the you know the best coaches in, in MMA. He coached, for example, George St. Pierre, which is widely regarded as one of the best welterweights of all time. What's dope is that Kevin Lee got the advice from Joe Rogan when he went on Rogan's podcast that he should, that Kevin Lee should train with somebody like Farasa Hobby because he has a similar fighting style to George St. Pierre, you know, a good striker, wrestling background, and very athletic, and he, I think Kevin Lee before then was like, I don't know if he was like bouncing between gyms and just didn't really have like a head head coach, head trainer. Rogan pitched that idea, apparently got them, those guys together. Kevin Lee took his advice and looked fucking spectacular. He knocked out Gregor Gillespie in the first round and won the performance of the night bonus. Then you have a fight between uh, Derek Lewis, the Black Beast versus Balgoy Ivanov. This Russian dude has like a a crazy scar like on his chest cuz he literally got stabbed in the heart and didn't die. Um but yeah, that's 
just an interesting aside <laughs> um as far as the actual fight i thought he had uh derrick lewis in like some sort of like jujitsu hold like a darce maybe and it looked like derrick lewis's like arm was just gonna like rip off so it was pretty sick and uh derrick lewis got the w there then what else another notable fight was my man Corey johnson who fucking ran through johnny walker and knocked him the fuck out johnny walker which after his last fight even though like a dick he like threw himself on the floor to like kind of like do the worm or some shit and then wound up like dislocating his shoulder and had to get like soldier shoulder surgery and stuff like that but prior to this performance they were saying like maybe this is the guy that could beat john jones but Corey johnson put the kibosh and all that and Corey johnson is a fighter that is i also believe underrated like he'll let everybody and their mother know but i kind of don't like the like the constant him saying that he's overrated and not getting a fair shake and that he's gonna leave the ufc if he doesn't get a title shot like that type of shit i'm not like big on i could definitely do without but he's absolutely a hell of a fighter super hard worker and deserves a title shot so the fact that he does say shit like that kind of like can't knock him for it either you know what i mean because like he has a point but it's like yeah you have a point but come on don't whine but again at the same time yeah you have the right to fucking whine and complain and you know the squeaky tire gets the oil type shit then you have wonder boy steven thompson with or versus vicente luque and that was actually fight of the fight of the night uh it won that uh performance bonus and wonder boy looked awesome he looked like the wonder boy of old i'm throwing up air quotes as i say old because it's like by that in the mma world i mean like what like three or four fights ago you know what i mean it's not like five years ago or some shit but he was like super on point like with that point karate fighting type style like in and out sidekicks galore awesome footwork you know like the whole nine yards and he wound up like just picking off his opponent like masterfully and you know it's good on him because his previous fight he had a loss to pettis and his two fights before then he lost to tyron woodley twice so he could definitely use the w and i'm glad he got it he's definitely somebody that i enjoy watching uh fight then you have kevin gastelum and darren till that i was really looking forward to especially after kevin gastelum's previous fight was like i mentioned earlier the epic war battle between him and Israel adesanya and then Tarrant, darren till's last fight was him getting knocked out by either george masvidal or anthony pettis one of the two but those two fights were like back to back so if his last fight was george masvidal then the one before that was pettis if not it was pettis and then the one before that masvidal but either way it was like i thought this was gonna be like fight of the night like this was gonna be a dope fight and it wound up being a complete dud and my least favorite fight of the night and it was the co-main event but then that brings us to the bad motherfucker belt being on the line for george masvidal versus nate diaz this was just like an epic iconic ufc event in and of itself because of this bmf belt now for those of you that don't know nate diaz during his last fight after winning was on he was on the mic with i believe rogan and he calls out uh george masvidal 
and he says to George Masvidal that there's no there's no real gangsters left in the UFC besides uh, them two, and he respects them because um, he's also a gangster, but he's not a West Coast gangster. And he challenged him to fight for for the bad motherfucker title to see who's the real bad motherfucker in the UFC. And the UFC wound up like parlaying that into literally creating an actual belt, like a championship belt that's like black and it says BMF on it for bad motherfucker. And they marketed and promoted like the shit out of this fight with using that theme, which is dope that it came from like Nate Diaz, who historically has been even his brother, uh, Nick Diaz have been kind of like the redhead stepchild of the, of the UFC until Nate like beat Conor McGregor in that upset and, you know, kind of like forced the UFC to like pay more attention to him kind of, um, then he like says this shit on the mic and manifests this whole like bad motherfucker thing, which is really cool. And like you had the rock Dwayne Johnson, uh, be the one that like in the press conference announced like the creation of the belt. He was the one that's going to like put the belt on whoever the winner was, et cetera, et cetera. This was like this big, like hype machine thing behind it. Unfortunately though, sadly the fight got called off by the doctor in after the second round so in the beginning of the third round because Nate Diaz had a very deep cut on his right eye above his right eye and those of you that know Nate Diaz know that he has like so much scar tissue on his face from just like being in brawls that like he starts bleeding right away in the first round no matter what they say that if the fight was taking place in Vegas they would have like let the fight go but since it, it took place in New York and the New York commission is a bit like stricter, they decided to call it off. And at first I was upset, you know, obviously nobody wants like, you know, you want to see like the actual outcome of the fight. And even though George Masvidal was, was clearly winning like the first two rounds, I would say at that point, like Nate Diaz is somebody that, that outlasts his opponents and like never gets gassed. And he starts like picking it up like in the third round. So yeah, the third, the fourth, the fifth round to to look forward to seeing that. But unfortunately, we were we were not able to. But after seeing the like the uh, Dana White, the president of the UFC, posted some photos of Nate Diaz's cut afterwards, and he wound up getting a shitload of stitches. Like I want to say, like from memory, maybe like 20, 25, 30 stitches or some shit like that. Like it was a lot worse than than I thought it was when I was originally watching the fight. So it probably was the the right call. But yeah, it's sad not to not to have seen that epic fight, you know, play out completely. And interesting now, uh Nick Diaz, which is Nate Diaz's brother on Ariel Hawani's show, uh called out George Masvidal. Um because Masvidal, Masvidal supposedly said some shit about Nate Diaz and Nick being like Nate Diaz's older brother you know, like, took offense to it and said they, you know, he'll fight him, he'll fuck him up, and I don't know if that'll ever happen. Would be interesting, though, because Nick Diaz hasn't fought in a long time, and he was actually the, the, I don't want to say the better fighter of the two, but, like, Nate Diaz was always in Nick, Nick Diaz's, like, shadow, because Nick Diaz was, was kind of like a, like, the star of the, of the two brothers, um, until Nate, you know, started blowing up after, like, the Connor fights and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, 
that's what I got for you folks for UFC 244. And lastly, I saw a really dope play yesterday, actually. Thanks to my brother, actually, shout out to David for putting me onto it. We went to see it uh, double date with the wifeys and had a really good time. The play is adapted from Dominican writer Juno Diaz's novel, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, which I've spoken about, I'm sure, in the past on this podcast. And it's definitely one of the writers that inspired me to, not to write, but to experiment with different styles of writing. You know, to write kind of like in, in a Spanglish kind of way sometimes, and the way I write dialogue without always saying, like, who said what. I've done a lot with, definitely with my, my debut novel, Fractal, and with some of my short stories. Although I recognize that, you know, I'm not anywhere near that Juno Diaz level yet. Um, to have like that command of the craft to be able to deliver on that style of writing. But I definitely hope to be there one day with uh, getting enough reps in. But anyway, the novel, which is great, which I've listened to the audiobook a couple times. I have the hard copy book and I've read it. Check it out if you haven't. I'll link to it in the episode notes. And I read Juno Diaz's other books like This Is How You Lose Her and his anthology series uh drown he's one of those uh dominicans that makes you proud of being dominican you know what i mean <laughs> so when my brother told me that the they were turning the the book into a play or that they did and asked me if i wanted to go to to a showing i was like hell yeah i was like on board off off rip what's really cool and that even added to to all of this which i didn't know is that the like it's an off-broadway play and it's in this small theater, this intimate theater that called the Repertorio, El Repertorio Español, where they have Spanish plays. So they adapted the novel, which is, in, you know, in obviously in multiple languages, but initially in uh, written in English and like, you know, some Spanish, obviously mixed in there like that Spanglish style. Um... The play is in Spanish. Instead of being called The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, it's called La Breve y Maravillosa Vida de Oscar Wilde, which is the Spanish translation of that. And it was just dope to see, like, one, a play in Spanish, like completely in Spanish, with very little English in it. Um, they do have subtitles available, by the way, like in the top uh, left corner for anybody, any of my English only speaking listeners here uh you can still you know enjoy the play if you check it out because they do have those subtitles but it was just dope to see like this group of latino actors mostly dominican maybe even all dominican but no actually no mostly dominican because i know one of the characters that i looked up is puerto rican she played the roles of jenny and yvonne and like everybody in the audience like all Latinos, you know, again, like mostly Dominican, watching a play together that has like a lot of like dichos and sayings and just like like mad Dominican flavor. <laughs> it was just a like a really dope cultural experience. The one thing that initially threw off the play a little bit, I'm 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 point out two things. Like I really like the play a lot, like to the point that 
um thinking of like telling a few other people about it and going to to watch it again um but two things that i would point out about it is one that's not even that initially i thought was gonna be negative but turned out not to be for me at least i know like my brother uh it kind of like threw him off or turned him off like from the play rather was the fact that the the main character that plays oscar wow was sick and they told us uh, before the beginning of the performance that his understudy is gonna fill in for him but he's not as well versed so he's gonna perform the play with the literally the script in his hand and like reading from it so at first when hearing that everybody's kind of like had like a collective like ah oh, fuck but honestly i thought that the dude did an awesome job awesome awesome job you know just with having like that added pressure that you know people are already going to be on the side of like this fucking guy having to read the the script in front of us you know a lot of people are going to have like that just innately going to have that response for him to be acting like with that pressure on top of him aside from what i imagine is just like the pressure pressure in general of, of you know live stage acting and pulling off what i thought was an awesome performance was like that much more impressive to me and the fact that he was carrying carrying like the script around um i felt in a weird way that it kind of like acted as like a prop to his character because his character is like this nerdy kid that's into like sci-fi stuff and he writes and it was kind of like he was like always carrying a book around you know like his his notebook to like write in or it like added to like the nerdiness of the character i felt so i really didn't mind it much so yeah so to me that wasn't even really like a like a a true negative what i could do without which wasn't a big deal because it's like whatever was like the transition between like certain scenes like they played like this like kind of like sci-fi music and like dim delights and sounded like you know like mario video game sounds and stuff like that and they did like weird like dances while like moving the chairs and stuff like that around that was kind of like i felt like unnecessary and it kind that actually kind of like threw me off because i was like what is this like well i don't get it so i could have done without that but besides that man it was it was awesome i highly recommend it it's um it's based and adapted from the the novel the brief wonders life of oscar wow by juno diaz so everything isn't exactly as it is in the novel but i thought it was like super super true to the story and all the it hits like all the checkpoints of the novel if that makes sense and the like the liberties that marco antonio rodriguez took in writing the story for the stage and directing it were definitely true to the story that i was used to from the novel by juno diaz but yeah folks check it out i'll link to it in the episode notes uh, link to the theater and the page where you can get tickets to the show. And I'll also link to the novel, uh, The Brief Wonders Life of Oscar Wilde, if you guys want to check it out. I'll link to that in the episode notes as well. I definitely recommend both. And that's all I have, folks. That is episode 140 of the Spun Today podcast. Stick around, listen to some tunes in the background, and then a few ways that you can help support the show if you so choose. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. And I hope you cherish the time you have with your loved ones. Peace.
Hey folks, Tony here, and I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I enjoy putting it together for you. If you'd like to support, I'd really appreciate it, and we'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts on how to do so. If you can make your way over to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a bunch of different ways where you can do just that. There you'll find an Amazon banner similar to the other banners found throughout my website that you can click on and will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. This will not cost you anything extra and Amazon will pay me a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. It's a great way to help support the show financially without actually having to come out of pocket. At spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon and Kofi pages. Patreon and Kofi are two similar websites where you can set up reoccurring donations for the show. If you want to donate a dollar per month, a dollar per episode, a hundred dollars per episode, whatever you like. You can check out either one of those two services there. There's actually also a Patreon video that's kind of like a little tutorial explanation video of how Patreon actually works. Also at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a direct donation button where you, you can donate by way of PayPal. You'll find a link to Apple Music, which works similar to the Amazon banner. You can click on it. It'll take you to Apple's website where you can do your purchasing like you normally do. And again, it does not cost you anything extra, but I will get paid a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. And you'll also find links to the Spun Today viral style store. This is where you can get Spun Today related merch. And you'll find things like these cool premium t-shirts that have uh, writing related things on them that I put together myself. I'm definitely not a clothing designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I put together things that I wanted to see and, and uh, wear myself. A couple of my favorites are the one that says writing is life and another one that says write need every day and it has like a puff of smoke looking design right behind uh, those words. You'll also find a sponsored a coffee mug and a really cool color changing mug that's related to my debut novel Fractal. It's completely black and when it gets hot when you put in coffee or tea it starts changing to white and it also exposes the cover art for my novel fractal it's pretty dope so definitely check all that stuff out which again you can find by going to sponsor.com forward slash support 
And of course, do not forget to follow me on all of your social media at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Subscribe to the Spun Today YouTube channel where you can find clips and excerpts from the podcast along with other cool content. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Spun Today. Also, don't forget to check out all the free shit that I have on my website as well. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. And there you're going to find dozens and dozens and dozens of free writing pieces that you can check out for motivation and inspiration and just some general food for thought. You can check out some of my photography at spuntoday.com forward slash photography. Feel free to take any of those pictures and use them as you wish. I set it up so that you can like copy and download the photos. And my short stories are available at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. And last but certainly not least, my pride and joy corner, spuntoday.com forward slash books. Here you will find my published books, which you find folks can find links to purchase them on Amazon, whether you want hard copies or digital uh, Kindle copies. That's the spot for you. Thank you very much for being a Spun Today listener. And as always, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening.